we're starting a new series in James today, and I made a slideshow, had it all ready, and then I spent the whole week and weekend packing and moving. So I couldn't find my flash drives or my printer or my computer. So there's no slideshow. Um, but yeah, we're starting a new series in James. I'm really excited about it. So there was a group of Christians uh, gathered in a home in a war-torn country. Uh, and, and they were in hiding because they feared for their lives. And there was a woman from the group that called a friend of hers on the phone. And this friend actually happened to be with her own church. And they were in prayer for this group that was hiding uh, from those that wanted to, to find them. And the, group, the woman who was on the phone with the group uh, said this. We, we feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness has come over us and we were singing hymns. And even our kids said to us, Mom, we will not deny Jesus. But as she finished speaking, the woman on the other side of the phone suddenly heard screaming and then gunshots and then silence. The group of Christians had been found and killed. This isn't just any story about persecution. This actually is an event that took place in the last week since everyone came to church uh, last Sunday. Uh, there was an underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan that was massacred by the Taliban. The woman who was on the other side of the phone heard all this and shared her story on her Facebook page to bring awareness to the persecution that was going on in that country. And as awful of a story as this is, I wanted to share this as we begin this sermon series on the letter of James, because the church was just in its infancy when this letter was written, and it was experiencing its first major persecution. And I think that with the persecution being faced at this moment by many of our brothers and sisters in countries such as Afghanistan, uh, and many other countries as well, it's uh, important for us to kind of understand the shoes that people are in uh, when they're being persecuted, and, and to try and put ourselves in their shoes mentally so that we can understand the lessons that there are to learn. Um, especially from this letter as we begin this series. Um, and this letter is kind of about being what a Christian truly looks like and, and the first bits about what it looks like in the face of persecution and trials. We're told throughout Scripture that if we are truly living in pursuit of Jesus, we will not have an easy life. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32-36, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. We're not only warned, but promised that if we live our lives in pursuit of Jesus, we will have trouble in this life. However, it's what we do in the face of that trouble that truly matters. To persevere means to persist, to persist in an undertaking in spite of whatever opposition or discouragement or roadblocks that we come into. And that really defines what it means to be a Christian, especially for a lot of these people in these other places in the world. And this letter of James is a few differing opinions as to when it was written. Uh, most of the theories that I read suggest that this letter was uh, written shortly after Stephen was stoned to death. Uh, which is in Acts 7. And in Acts 8, 1-4, it says this of what happened right after Stephen was stoned to death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all, the, all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. 
Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, we don't know for sure if that date is accurate, uh, but if it is, and the timing would suggest this letter that we're going to study through the fall is written to these Jews who were scattered in the midst of this persecution. Now, this letter does a, a number of things. It's actually one of my favorite letters in the New Testament. Uh, but the first thing it does here in this very first chapter is strengthen Christians who are experiencing trials and temptations. And that's kind of what we're going to be focusing on today as we start this series and, and as we move forward. as this idea of perseverance in the face of trials and persecution. And it's not something that most of us have ever had to live through or experience here in Canada. But we would be naive to think that it could never, ever happen here. Now, there are two good things about persecution, and that sounds kind of weird to say that there's good things about being persecuted, but uh, a lot of things about Christianity are countercultural. But the first good thing is that it forces the church to grow. Historically, the church has always been at its very strongest in the world when it's being persecuted. But second, persecution forces us as Christians to ask ourselves what really matters in life. And it helps us to develop perseverance in our faith. And what we'll see today is that those who persevere under trials and who are faithful until the very end will receive the crown of life. So I'll open in prayer and then we'll start off this new series. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all the blessings you have given us. However, God, we do recognize that there are many of our brothers and sisters who are not as blessed as we are in our society but we look towards the lives that they live and the, the situations that they are in as examples of what being faithful to you truly looks like when we are put against the wall. And I just ask that you would help us to learn from this and to grow from this and to help us become closer to you through it. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first week is going to be the first 18 verses of chapter 1. I know it's a big chunk of text. I actually asked Edith if she could send out just to kind of see if everyone could read through it beforehand. Um, something you're going to notice as we do this series, James is not as organized as some of the other writers. Um, there's a whole bunch of just different thoughts just thrown in together. Um, it, it kind of seems like if I tried to write a letter, you know, my mind's always disorganized. Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So it's very hard for me as a preacher to do a chunk of text and have one central thought. Um, so I tried to make it a bit bigger, um, but you're, even this week you're going to see that there's probably five or ten different things you could preach on in this passage. Um, anyways, we're just going to go through it verse by verse, uh, starting with the very first verse, which is just the introduction. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So like I mentioned, this is probably that group of Christians uh, that was scattered and persecuted, but we don't know for sure. Uh, there's a few James in the New Testament. Most likely, this is the brother of Jesus. Uh, now, we think James the Apostle, like James and John, we think that James is probably already dead by this point. Uh, he's already been martyred. Now, James the brother of Jesus, he didn't actually believe in Jesus or his mission at the first before Jesus died. And we even see him in John 7 challenging Jesus in his mission. But the evidence suggests that after Jesus was resurrected, he actually came to believe in Jesus and became quite prominent in the church, especially in Jerusalem. Now, 
The thing to remember about him being the brother of Jesus is that just because he was blood-related to Jesus does not mean that he should be held in some special place above other writers or people. Uh, James may have physically been the son of Mary, but he was also physically the son of Joseph, and he was just as human as the rest of us. So his letter should be seen as authoritative. Um, it's in the Bible, it is inspired scripture, but it's not a higher authority just because he was Jesus' brother. So verses 2 to 8, I'm just going to read this all as one piece. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So this first section kind of portrays trials and suffering in both their positive and negative aspects. So at face value, trials and suffering obviously is not something that we view as positive. Um, you don't want to be persecuted as a Christian. That doesn't sound fun. But it's actually beneficial for Christians because it, it gives us an opportunity to put our faith in, in God to meet our needs and to keep us safe. Not physically, but eternally. And it provides a testing ground for us to practice and grow our faith. And this kind of sets a theme for the entire letter because the idea that you're going to see develop through this fall is that faith has substance. It's not just believing in something. It, it actually causes things to happen. We are saved by faith in Jesus. Yes. And you're going to hear me kind of remind you that we are saved by faith because it's hard with the letter to James to uh, remember that sometimes. But the other part of this is that if you truly do have faith and if you truly do have the Holy Spirit living in you, your life is going to begin to look different. Things are going to change, and you should want them to change. You should want to become more like Jesus. And so this letter is written to this group of Christians who are spread out on persecution, uh, and it's kind of telling them some of the things that they needed to change. And I think that some of the things in this letter are very relevant for our society today. Now James says that since we should want to be tested, since we should want to develop perseverance and maturity as Christians, we should consider it joy when we face trials because it means that we have a chance to grow and to be faithful to Jesus. And that's hard for us to swallow because it's kind of the opposite of what we think, you know. The world says it's good to be comfortable and accepted and for everyone to have um, a, a place where they can just live their lives free of any oppression, and that's true. But at the same time, this is saying as Christians that persecution actually can strengthen your faith. And he says that if we lack wisdom about this, we should ask for it. And that when we ask, we shouldn't doubt. So if we don't understand that, we should ask God to help us understand it. But mostly he is concerned that Christians are progressing to a mature and stable faith. And that they use their current trials and their persecution to achieve that. Now, like I said, uh, before we move on to these next verses... 
you are going to notice that these next verses don't necessarily line up with what we just read because it's just a bunch of random thoughts kind of thrown together um, by this guy named James. Um, so I'm going to kind of talk about bits of them. I'm going to touch on them, but we're, we're not going to go down too many bunny trails because I have trouble recovering from bunny trails. Um, I actually, when I'm studying, I can go down and spend like three hours studying something that's not even relevant to my sermon. And I'm like, what did I just do for the last three hours? So I'm going to try and avoid that through this series, um, but it's definitely going to be beneficial if, if um, you're kind of reading ahead uh, in the letter, just so that you can cover some of the stuff we're not going to focus on as in-depth each week. So verses 9 through 11, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, this kind of reminded me of that when I was studying. Because it talks about, you know, there's rich people, there's poor people, you can spend your life pursuing, your life pursuing this or this, but at the end of the day, we all come into this world with nothing, and we all leave physically with nothing. And it also reflects the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, when he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That whole, the first will be last, and the last will be first, son. And that's the way that Jesus often works. Whatever the world values, Jesus values the opposite. He's very countercultural. The world takes pride in all of its achievements and its possessions, and that's how we measure your value as a person. But he tells us we should take pride in our humiliation, our suffering, and our humility. And then verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that's really what I want to focus on as we start this series. It sort of summarizes this first section, but... It also is talking about that battle or race that we're all waging or running. It gives the motivation and reason for all that comes after this in this letter. You should persevere so you can receive this crown of life, and therefore, because you should persevere, here's the areas that you need to persevere in. So, we receive wisdom by asking, and then through our faith we receive the power to endure whatever trials may come our way because we possess the living hope of the salvation of our souls. Now, notice that this verse doesn't say, blessed is the one who succeeds under trial, or blessed is the one who never fails or stumbles under trial. It says the one who perseveres. Mm -hmm. That means it isn't about whether you run a faultless race. It's about whether you keep running, whether you get up again and keep going. Now, again, running means doing things. It means letting the Holy Spirit change you. You, you can't just say you're running this marathon we're in while you're sitting in the stands, you have to participate. And it doesn't matter whether you come in first place, though. It matters that you persist and run, regardless of what obstacles are thrown in your path. And James says the one who stands the test and perseveres until the end will receive this crown of life. Now, in Greek, this crown he's speaking of is not the royal crown that a king would wear. It's the Stephanos, or the victory crown. It's a wreath that they would put on the head of a champion in a sports game. It's like the gold medal at the Olympics. 
So it fits this metaphor well of running the race. It symbolizes glory and honor and spiritual success given by Jesus to those who keep their faith in the midst of suffering and temptation. Even when facing death, life is our reward. And if you've ever read Revelation, this really parallels the words of Jesus in Revelation 2.10, in one of those seven letters to the churches, when he's speaking to the church in Smyrna. He says, and this is Jesus speaking, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that's that same crown, the, the gold medal. And this is a theme throughout all these letters to the seven churches. You all see them in, to the one who overcomes, to the one who's faithful until death. James 13 to 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has been conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. And so this is kind of a a bit of a divide at the very end. He wants to separate temptation from testing and and, uh, persecution. Because before, when when James was talking about trials, he was talking about the testing of our faith through whatever's going on in the world around us. But he makes it clear, God does not tempt us to sin. We create our own temptation for ourselves by idolizing things that are created rather than our creator. And then finally, verses 16 to 18, and this is the end of this section. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth of the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Okay, so like I said, uh, James is a bit scattered in his thoughts. There's a few different ideas in this passage, um, and he throws a little tidbits of this and that in there, which is really confusing for me when I'm trying to prepare a sermon. Um, however, given what we're going to be looking at through the fall in the letter to, of James, and what's happening in the world today, uh, that story I told about the Christians in Afghanistan. And as we begin to study this letter, there's a few things that I want you to take away from this first week uh, as we prepare for this series and prepare our hearts for what we're going to be studying. And I think if we keep these things in mind as we move forward in this series, it will help us to prepare our hearts for what God has to teach us in his word. So the first thing is to consider it joy when you face trials. And I said this before, but we struggle to consider things that are hard and painful as beneficial. Uh, it, It doesn't make sense in our minds. How can something that hurts be good for us? But the truth is, like I said, the church is often strongest when it's weakest. In our culture today, we are free to worship God without fear of persecution. And as someone who doesn't like being persecuted, um, I like that. That's great. But the problem is, when you're free to do things without fear of repercussions, you become complacent and comfortable. And that's where I find myself as well. Because my existence isn't threatened as a Christian on a daily basis. We can worship in general comfort on Sundays, I can come and preach. I don't, I'm not scared someone's going to come bursting through the door with a gun. 
Um, we can think about, you know, what am I going to do for lunch after church? Or what am I going to do tomorrow? Or any of this stuff. While our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are singing hymns in dark basements, waiting for the moment that the door is going to be kicked in and someone with a gun is going to walk in and kill them. I have no shame in saying that I do not envy their situation, but I have great shame in saying that I deeply envy their faith, their joy, and their perseverance, because I know that it dwarfs my own. Up the road, there's one of those big billboards. Um, you'll often see those, uh, they're always like kind of King James language, um, the evangelical billboards. I believe that one says, prepare to meet thy God. And I always kind of chuckle when I drive by it. I'm, I'm always thinking, you know, how effective are these? Do, do people actually, you know, come to Jesus through these signs? But this week it got me thinking that probably one of the reasons these signs aren't effective is that meeting our Creator does not feel like a present reality to us. It feels like some distant thing that will happen someday. There's always time to figure things out and get yourself in order later. But I think that this is one of the reasons the church is stronger when we face persecution. Because while facing our Creator may feel like a distant thing for us, it's a very, very present reality for Christians in many other parts of the world. God doesn't say that we should thank Him for being safe, although we do, and that's fine. But we are told to consider it joy when we face trials, to be happy that we are being persecuted. And while that is not a present reality for us in the world today that we live in here, I really want us to consider what it would feel like to live in that reality, because it is the reality that these recipients of this letter were living in, and it is the reality of many of our brothers and sisters. And so to fully understand what James is saying and asking these people in this letter, we have to put ourselves in their shoes, because it's the testing of our faith that produces perseverance. And James says it is the one who perseveres who will receive the crown of life. The second thing I want you to kind of keep in mind as we go through this series is to take pride in humility. And this one is really important because I guarantee you, uh, I was reading ahead, uh, we are all going to need humility during this series. And like I said, James is one of my favorite letters in the Bible because I like people who just tell it like it is. And James is good at that. He just has a list of things they need to fix. There's a lot to learn in this letter, and there's tons that is applicable, as applicable today for us as it was when he wrote it to those Christians in the first century. But James says to not just be humble, but to take pride in being humble, which is kind of hard to do, you know? <laughs> I was reading, there was a post on Facebook the other day, it says, uh, I'm really good at everything except humility, because I'm really good at it. <laughs> But the, the idea is that humility is such an important virtue. And practicing humility solves so many other problems for us in life. Because so many problems are born out of a lack of humility. We may cover topics during this series that make us uncomfortable. And we may cover topics that hit a little too close to home. And I also want everyone to know that anything I preach in church, I first had preached to me at home as I studied. So... I'm going to be just as much in need of humility as we go through this series on this letter. But James says if we lack wisdom, 
we should pray and ask God for it. So I'm also hoping as we begin this series, we will all be praying for wisdom and humility uh, as we go through it together, and the strength to be able to accept hard truths and apply the Word of God to our lives. And that leads me to the third thing you should uh, kind of keep in mind as we go through this letter, which is that perseverance leads to maturity. The more that we accept and apply the Word of God, the more we will mature and grow. And remember, perseverance does not equate to perfection. Perseverance doesn't mean coming in first. It means running the race and pushing through until the very end, regardless of how many times you trip and fall. And that's what I want us to keep in mind as we begin this new series, is that the important thing isn't being a perfect person, because you can't do that. The important thing is persevering until the end, regardless of what gets in your way. We don't earn our salvation. Jesus did that for us already. But that said, faith in Jesus demands a response. It demands a change. When you have put your faith in Jesus to save you, you have now officially joined the race. But the important thing is that it isn't that you run the race perfectly. The important thing is that you run it regardless of how much you mess up along the way. And so I kind of want us to remember that as we go into this series, that um, even if we deal with hard topics, the important thing is that we persevere together, um, because the more we persevere, the more the Holy Spirit will work in us, and the more we will grow in maturity as Christians. So to conclude, in many ways, we're very fortunate to live where we do, and to have the freedoms that we enjoy, but in many ways, as uncomfortable as it makes me to even think about it, we're missing out on, on the depth of faith and joy and perseverance that can only come in the face of trials and persecution. And if you study church history, like I had the uh, benefit of doing this summer uh, in my final courses at MCC, you'll see that the church exploded whenever it was being persecuted, especially in the first centuries. But then once it became a state religion under Emperor Constantine, that is when the church became comfortable, and that is when the church began to lose sight of its mission. The church in the world today, likewise, is strongest and the most Christ-like in the places where it is being persecuted, because they've been forced to consider what being a Christ follower truly means and to decide whether they're willing to give their life for it, and not hypothetically. And not only their lives, but possibly the lives of their families and children. That story, uh, that church that was massacred this week in Afghanistan, that was not just adults, there were children. But they counted the cost, and they decided it was worth it to them, because their faith was strong. Now, we can only consider this risk hypothetically in our lives, because we don't experience that type of persecution here. But they truly were prepared to meet their God. James said, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, or the gold medal, that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And as we prepare for what is to come in this series, let's consider what it truly means to persevere in the face of trial, and whether we are truly ready to meet our God. Are we persevering in our faith? What does it look like for us to persevere in our faith? And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about in this series. So as we leave this week, remember that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Be ready to take pride in practicing humility. 
And don't be afraid to ask God for wisdom to discern his word. And if you do these things, his spirit will bring you to maturity in him. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you do have a spirit that works in us and that you have sent your son to save us. And I just ask that um, you would help us to have the depth of faith, uh, depth of faith and joy and perseverance that you would like us to have and that our brothers and sisters overseas have in these countries. I just ask that as we go through this letter together this fall, that you would help prepare our hearts and help us to be open for your word and to let you change our lives. It's in Jesus' name, amen.